I'm Chan Storland, and welcome to This Week Korea, an Anything Goes panel discussion program featuring the opinions of expats and Korean nationals sometimes uh, on some of the biggest yet often underreported stories from the last week. On today's show, he's a legend in the expat blogging and photography community, and you can find his updates on the Marmot's Hole blog on rjkohler.com, which has been running since 2003. He's currently the editor-in-chief of the monthly travel and culture magazine Seoul and a writer-photographer for the publishing company Seoul Selection. A native of Long Island and a graduate of Georgetown University, he has lived continuously in Korea since 1997 and has also worked as an English teacher and a translator at the Chosen Ilbo, which is, of course, one of Korea's biggest daily newspapers. The man... The legend, Robert Kohler. Thank you for joining us, Rob. Boy, that, that intro does sound a little bit more douchey when it's uh, read aloud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Uh, you've been here quite a long time, I think 17 years or more. So, you know, perhaps your, your bio needs to be a little longer. Uh, but now we're moving on to someone who hasn't been here quite as long, not quite as long. She's an American teacher living and working here in Seoul. And before coming to South Korea, she also lived and taught in Madrid, Spain. And aside from teaching, she's also uh, a singer and plays the keys for Bekma, one of the most popular expat bands here in Seoul. And sadly, she will be leaving Korea this fall, but she'll be taking a piece of the country with her as her two Korean Jindo mixed dogs will be accompanying her back to the Midwest. Stephanie Bankston, great to have you with us as well. Thanks. My dogs are here, too. Great. Perhaps they can <laughs> throw in. I don't know if we have any dog-related issues, but maybe they'll have an opinion. Yeah. And finally, he's a Korean-American PR professional and former Korean radio journalist and media personality who, after feeling disillusioned with English radio here in South Korea, he came together with a few radio friends in 2013 to create the Cafe Soul podcast. He's also interested in a variety of Korean-related uh, issues, including international adoption, Korea-Japan relations, and Dokdo Island, which is right up his alley, as he used to live in Japan before making the jump over here to South Korea. Eugene Wong, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So, great panel. Uh, we have uh, Korean-American, we, we have a, a female presence, and of course we have the 17-year machine that is Rob. So hopefully we can get some good perspectives on uh, these three stories that I've picked out that have been either big or just something very interesting that I wanted to talk about from the last seven days here in Korea. Now, our first topic is obviously something that took place before uh, this last week, but... In this last week, we kind of had a major development. This week, uh, this last week, South Korea declared a de facto end to the MERS virus crisis that had previously gripped the nation after no new infections were reported since July 4th. The prime minister also apologized for the government's much criticized response to the crisis, which killed 36 people here in South Korea, which is uh, approximately 36% of the estimated 186 infections that have taken place. Now, those numbers do seem relatively small, perhaps compared to, you know, the many people that are affected by viruses and flus each year. But since the country reported its first case back on May 20th, nearly 16,700 people have been subject to isolation for possible infection after coming in close contact with MERS patients. Now, the South Korean Health Ministry now says precautions such as screening for the disease at airports, even though they've kind of had this de facto end, will still remain in place until the situation comes to a formal end, which is something different. Because today, it was reported that that could come as late as September, as South Korea will have to wait twice the virus's incubation period, so about 28 days after the last patient has been cleared of the virus. And that hasn't even happened because one person in the hospital continues to test positive for MERS. 
The first cases of the Middle East respiratory virus emerged in the Middle East back in 2012. The first death came in June of that year from Saudi Arabia. And MERS is actually not something that's passed easily between humans, and the infection usually occurs with people who have once again had that close contact with an infected person, which was the case here in Korea, as that original patient zero brought the disease with him from the Middle East, visited a few medical centers where the virus was then spread to other people. There's kind of this, I don't know if you call it pandemonium, but it, you know, it's people kind of went a little overboard. And we'll be talking about that. But despite that singular connection that existed just at the hospitals, you know, government organizations, they shut down services, large events across the peninsula were canceled. And many of my friends were actually sent home from their schools and uh, their English academies for days on end. Some of them paid vacations, some of them forced vacations, just kind of depended on the person. So let's talk about this. Something I want to hear from every one of you is, did you ever wear a mask? I want to know if you decided to put on a mask during this crisis. And how did this affect you? Did it affect your job? Did it affect the jobs of the people that you hang out with? And what do you think of the government's response? Uh, Was it overboard? Was it just enough to make sure that people thought they were doing something? And finally, what can South Korea learn from all this as probably in the future there'll be another outbreak of another disease? I I just want MERS to come back because everything was wonderful. Like if you go to the Jimjilbang, <laughs> there was nobody there. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah. And and about the masks and everything, like I noticed one time I had to travel down to like Yangjae from where I live up here in Gangbuk and north of the river nobody was putting on the masks, but as soon as you cross to south of the river they're like, "Ooh, better put the masks on because you know all the rich people getting on the bus and they're like oh i don't want to hang out with these poor people from north of the river i better put my mask on so there's more masks south of the river than north Isn't of the river Isn't that where the most of the outbreaks were though like in around suwon and i think yeah it was it was also like pyeongtaek and suwon it was a lot of the hospitals that were infected were were south of seoul from what i remember yeah um i can also imagine that some people were saying that some of the amusement parks were there were there were no lines during the MERS scare, so that might have been nice for them, I suppose. But no, I mean seriously, in my personal experience, MERS did not affect much of anything other than you know public gatherings were much easier to get through. That's about it. But did you put on a mask, Eugene? I will fully admit, uh, my girlfriend, she's Korean, and uh, we donned couple masks. We took some photos, and uh, you know, every once in a while I, I had a mask because she works for a museum, and they were just like handing them out. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm on the subway, I'll just wear it. I wasn't particularly worried, but I, I thought it was kind of cool, novelty to put it on. Did you put one on, Eugene? Um, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I did. No. No mask. Robert, Stephanie? Yeah, um, I've, I've never worn a mask, like, ever in, you know, the 17 years I've been here. Not once. For Halloween, right? Not, not well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I stopped doing Halloween in elementary school, but, uh, yeah, um, never. Um, yeah, um, that being said, um, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, there was a positive side to Maris. Um, yeah, it was nice to uh, hear Korean spoken in Myeongdong. That was nice. Um, <laughs> oh, so you're, um, you're making an, you're you're pointing out that the Chinese tourism industry greatly suffered from this. Well, I mean, I yeah, um, yeah, um, I guess that's the way to put it. Um, you know, uh, I work in the Bukchon area, and um, you know, uh, it was nice to see kind of a return to the old Bukchon a little bit. Um, you know, that nice tranquil, um, 
you know, community of, uh, of Korean houses and things, you know, without the crowds of, 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 uh, package tourists, um, you know, w- you know, running up and down the place. Um, so I guess there's, if, if you're looking for a positive side, um, there was that, but, uh, I mean, as somebody who works, um, you know, I do a travel magazine. So of course, obviously we're, we're intimately tied with the, uh, with the tourism industry and it, it sucked. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's hit the, the tourism industry hard. Um, and, uh, it's going to take a while for that to bounce back. I know that, uh, Hong Kong just, uh, lifted its, uh, travel advisory for, uh, people coming to Korea. So, you know, one hopes that, you know, you'll start to see a, you know, more influx of, 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 of tourists and, you know, more importantly, tourist money back into the, back into the industry. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's been pretty, it's been pretty rough. Um, I will also say that, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago I went to, uh, well, I wanted to go to an emergency room to, uh, um, it was late at night and I wanted to get some uh, medicine refilled. And, uh, when I got to the, the emergency room, I just saw this, these big signs on there saying, you know, you know, don't, you know, unless you basically, unless you're dying, don't come in, you know, because of mares. And, uh, yeah, no, my, my girlfriend had a normal doctor's appointment and it was at a hospital that was not connected to the outbreak at all. Like no patients were there. It was right here in Seoul. As we mentioned, I think most of that stuff happened South of the city and, uh, she canceled it and she rescheduled it, um, for like a month later because she just didn't want to go to the hospital. Yeah. But I mean, like, she, I mean, it, I mean, it was scary. I mean, you know, granted it was a night, but, um, I mean, you had these big, you know, signs up on the front of the door and you had like a little makeshift, uh, um, isolation, you know, some, uh, tent set up in front of the hospital, I guess like a makeshift isolation ward. Um, but it was like something you would see like out of an apocalyptic movie or something. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I decided, you know, I didn't go in. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was scary. Now, Stephanie, you work as a teacher. And so were you sent home? Did you have kind of some forced vacation? That was the case as I'm sure you'll uh, agree with probably most of the people we know who are in the teaching industry, they kind of either got sent home or were told not to come in for a while. Yeah. Our students were out for three or four days and I had to go in for half days, but there were no students and we were, um, our temperature was taken every day when we got to school. I feel bad for like kids that just had, you know, slight fever just from normal stuff. (laughs) They didn't, they didn't get to come to school that day. Um, but yeah, our school, I worked at a Chinese international school in Myeongdong, actually. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> but they didn't seem too worried about it, I guess. I, I thought it was funny, though, because when it first started, they were like, okay, we'll take till the weekend off. So we got like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. And then we had to come back on Monday because, you know, the virus was going to be eradicated <laughs> by Monday. <laughs> um, but all of the kids uh, brought like the hand sanitizer and had the masks and everything, but it was pretty ridiculous. Like I've never worn a mask. I think they're ridiculous because like what I see adults and children especially doing is, you know, they'll come to class, they'll take off the mask, put it on their desk and then they cough on my face. So it's like, why do you have the mask? Or or like they'll share it with each other, right? They'll they'll share each other's masks. So like I, I'm really big on teaching kids how to like cough into their elbow, you know, and not touch their face and all like just all the time anyway. So I, you know, kind of appreciated the chance to really emphasize that because um, they were very scared. Like the, the panic kind of like my kids were like, teacher immersed, no mask, you know? So um, I tried to, you know, tell them, teach them how to 
it was a teachable moment. Yeah, exactly. And um, like put soap like in the bathrooms because my school have <laughs> because no one puts soap well, in the bathrooms. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that, and I I would get really frustrated because it's like, okay, well, this is great. You know, let's let's teach our kids how to have proper hygiene now. But of course, now that it's all over, they stopped. Or like the hand sanitizer, they won't wash their hands before lunch. They'll just put the hand sanitizer on their hands, and it's like, why don't you just go to the bathroom and wash your? Hands? I I will agree with you I, as someone who I love Korea for many different reasons. But one of the things that I point out consistently is that you'll go to like a nice restaurant and the bathroom will be horrible and there'll be no soap. Where in the states, if you go to like a crappy convenience store, they'll have or a gas station, you know, they'll. they'll have like a restroom that's decently clean and there's always plenty of soap but with MERS I saw a lot more soap uh Uh, I saw a lot more hand sanitizer everywhere but now it's kind of over I mean I I had to literally tell grown women in the bathroom to wash their hands like it really grosses Mm. me out before MERS but even and then during MERS like everyone making a big deal I I kind of use that as like a platform once again teachable moment so I don't know um I'm curious, did you have any um, live music gigs during the MERS scare that that maybe had a lower attendance or anything? Yeah, we did. Like, a lot of people were kind of staying home for it, but I didn't notice it too much. But I did have, um, I was supposed to do a triathlon, and that was canceled. A lot of triathlons were canceled in that month, which is kind of funny, because, you know, I don't think a triathlete is the last person that's going (laughs) to contract the virus. But um, a lot of things like that were canceled, right, where... Lots of people were together. I know, um, like, the gay pride and stuff, they kind of used that to try to keep people at home. I mean, it didn't work, thankfully. No, for the whole gay pride thing, there was one pastor who was saying that HIV and MERS were going to yeah, work, work with each other and create this super virus that will eradicate the human race. Uh, you know, that's one thing that went around. That was crazy. Well, yeah, something to, to add on to that, I, I attended some of the gay pride events and I was able to do a couple of reports for the Korean broadcaster that I work for. And so I got to know a few of the organizers and I did some interviews and things like that. And, and I got to tell you, um, I think it was on both sides, though. Um, you definitely had, you know, basically were these Christian groups that are saying that, OK, you know, you guys are all going to hell. And now that we have MERS, it's going to combine with HIV. But that first event that was the Kickstarter for the whole month's, uh, you know, events that were taking place, eventually culminating with the, the Pride Parade at the end of the month. That first event, they told people to stay home the day of because of MERS. And it was supposed to be solidarity. You're supposed to show up and show your support. And they said, we're going to have a YouTube stream and you can just stay home and watch it. And I know a lot of people that lost a little bit of faith in the, um, the organizers of that event because they seem to bow down to MERS. Well, the, the opposite of the Christian fundamentalists, they started that new, you know, fashion, putting the cross on your mask. That was, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw that. I saw that at the event that I attended. Uh, yeah, you saw people with crosses on their masks. Yeah. It made it easy to tell which camp they were in. But so obviously, you know, we've been kind of uh, joking here. You know, for most people, obviously most people didn't get MERS. Most people, you know, according to the poll we just had for the people on the show, aside from myself, didn't wear masks. Um, so, Stephanie, you know, you were told not to come in. Um, it sounds like, uh, Rob, obviously you work with tourism, so that was kind of a blow to your industry. But um, aside from that, what do you guys think about the government's reaction? They withheld the names of the hospitals, the clinics that had those first patients for so long that made a lot of people angry. Eventually that did get out one way or the other. 
Um, they've been told that they were slow to act and, you know, some of the things that they did were not effective. But, you know, once again, anytime something like this happens, I think it is easy to blame a government for not doing it quicker, no matter how quick they, they have good results. So what do you guys think about that criticism? It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's probably instructive to compare Korea's response to Maris with, um, the outbreak that didn't happen of Ebola in the United States. Um, you know, even though, I mean, to, to be fair, to be frank, I mean, the extent of the public health emergency in both cases were probably overblown, but they did reveal certain, I don't know, flaws in the public health system that need addressing. Um, yeah, um, especially with Korea. I mean, I was, you know, I was reading uh, recently an interview with, uh, uh, Park Byung-ju, who's uh, one of the, uh, I guess, the chief of the Korean Public Health Association. And he pointed out some things that were kind of interesting, namely that, uh, you know, that something like this was kind of bound to happen because Korea has been uh, avoiding, um, it's been focusing its healthcare investment more on chronic, chronic diseases rather than, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, infectious diseases. Mostly because, I mean, the age of infectious diseases in Korea is, you know, it's, it's gone. I mean, you don't see cholera anymore. You know, back, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was all about preventing infectious diseases. Now it's all about chronic diseases. And because of that, you've seen a, a lack of investment on the infectious disease mm-hmm. side. But also, obviously, the emergency room uh, environment needs to be, needs to be uh, improved dramatically. Well, aren't, they, aren't they trying to, like before, in hospitals, like your entire extended family could come whenever they wanted, and they were basically... Right, and like bathing you and feeding you, and I think they're trying to crack down on that, right, and make it stricter, enforce visiting hours, things like that. So, I mean, that's also something good. I think that's coming out of it, right? Like, I know it was frustrating. You couldn't get into the hospital, or you felt, you know, afraid to go in. But I think it's good that they're kind of upping their security and enforcing some of these restrictions. Has anyone spent time like overnight in a Korean hospital? I have not. I've had nothing but positive experiences when going to the doctor or the hospital here in Korea. But a good friend of mine told me about how when he spent a day or two in the hospital, his girlfriend came to take, who's now his wife, came to take care of him. She's Korean. And there's actually a bed underneath the bed that the patient lies down on so that a family member can stay there and perform things that like in the States would be just done by a nurse. Now, maybe that cuts down on costs and maybe people are happy to do that because of cultural differences. But with something like MERS, it does seem that that would be a bad idea. Well, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe something with Maris that'll be a bad, I, I don't think that's as much of a problem as having an emergency room where pretty much everybody is gathered together, the infected and the not in the not infected. And it creates a very, very, um, it, it creates a situation where you're going to see, well, like with with the case of Maris in Korea, where almost everybody who got the disease got it in a hospital, right? Mm. Um, I didn't understand their quarantine. They were allowed, like they were under quarantine, but they were allowed to leave. And like well, people broke quarantine. There was a doctor who was quarantined, and he went to like some conferences. There was a Korean who like flew to China after he was told he was not supposed to leave. There, I mean, there were numerous, and and obviously, once again, as Robert did compare it to Ebola in the states, people broke quarantine there as well. Right. You know, that, that sort of thing happens. And also, you don't have a family doctor, uh, you know, uh, system in Korea, um, which, again, is something that, you know, uh, the government will probably be looking at in terms of, you know, maybe future reforms that it'll take. 
Well, right, because kids go to the hospital for everything because they don't have like a practitioner right. to go to. <laughs> going to the hospital for a cold right <laughs> well no there there are like uh smaller hospitals specifically for children i mean i've seen that before but sure but like i i know personally i i think it's kind of a mixture in between but i i think what stephanie and robert just mentioned it, it's more leaning towards that where like my own korean friends or my foreign friends um will go to a large facility just for something small where in the states you would m- always usually go to that small facility that local place as opposed to going to the larger one it seems to be a little mixed here that's true but i mean i think you have to look at in the states at least until very recently we there was a lot of problems where we didn't actually have insurance universally and now we're kind of sort of getting that way but not really and here you have you know basically everyone's covered yeah right so like oh i have a cold i better get it taken care of right away whereas in the states it's like oh i have a cold let me get some over-the-counter medication and i don't want to pay an arm and a leg for this so let me let me just try to get better on my own and that's the difference between the two cultures i would think if we had universal health care in the u.s then everybody would go to the hospital all the time i would think well i don't know i mean because in europe they do have universal health care but they also and you don't go to the hospital in europe yeah right yeah i mean you have a very but you also have a very highly developed family doctor no that's that's true too i suppose i mean growing up i had a family doctor as well and but we still only went to the family doctor if it was something serious like a a fever that right. won't go away for three or four days or something. Yeah, know? when when I was growing up in the States, I would like get physically hurt to the point that I would be limping. My parents kind of sucked, so they didn't care. But even I, when I could drive, would not go to the doctor unless I really had to go to the doctor. So, yeah, lots of differences. Uh, chalk it up to, to whatever you want. But, okay, so, yeah, murders, I think we all agree. Not a big deal. It's nice that it uh, is over with, but um, it was... Like a couple things that have happened in Korea the last couple of years, wasn't great PR for South Korea around the world. Um, so hopefully, you know, a- as Robert mentioned, you know, something like this was bound to happen. And when it happens in the future, hopefully they've learned some ways to deal with that. Uh, moving along to our second topic, our, our last two topics of the show are both kind of business related. Um, it was reported this week that unfortunately more than seven out of 10 major South Korean firms have no female executives and that women here in South Korea face a glass ceiling in what's called the C-suite, which is a term used to describe those top positions at a company where the executives have titles that start with the letter C, like chief this or chief that. Data shows, you know, this is all happening because data shows that at the end of March of this year, 73.9% of the 284 affiliates under the country's top 30 business groups reported having no female workers at the executive level. And there was also a huge discrepancy between the ratio of executives based upon sex, based upon gender. Only one out of every 1,300 female workers at these firms was an executive officer, while one in 74 of male workers had reached that executive level. Um, to name a few companies, the worst offenders from this report were Hyundai Heavy Industries Co., Daewoo Engineering Construction Co., and S-Oil Corporation, which had no female executives, followed by POSCO Affiliates, which had 7.7% female representation. Now, the best companies on the other end of this, I was a little surprised. The best was actually Samsung with 48% female executives, followed by LG Group with 43.8%, and Mire Asset Financial Group with 40%. So obviously, women in South Korea have to get past hurdles that just don't exist for men. And unfortunately, you know, no shocker, that exists probably in every country. 
But South Korea has repeatedly appeared very low in international women's rights and opportunity rankings, even below some countries that, you know, at least on face value alone, you would think women with less rights to do things in public, which is not the case here in South Korea, would appear lower. But no, you know, South Korea a couple different times has appeared lower on those rankings. Um, but of course, you know, as is obvious, not everything that just meets the eye would be something that you'd have to look at to decide, you know, what kind of rights and what kind of opportunities women have. So you can also look to the current president, Park Geun-hye, broke that glass ceiling, you know, the first female Korean president. And that's something that Western countries, like my own home of the U.S., still haven't seen take place that may take place here in the future with Hillary Clinton. We'll have to see. So what does this data mean? You obviously have um, some very, very straightforward statistics that show that women are struggling here in Korea at the executive level as well as in other areas. But then you do have these other things like the president being a female how would you say that South Korea then compares with the rest of Asia, which I think might be a little bit more favorable than the rest of the first world, the Western world, if you will? Well, I mean, I'm shocked that actually the Samsung and uh, yeah, the Samsung numbers were that high. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, very surprised. Yeah, I mean, we're talking. You know, I mean, it's a country with a glass ceiling that's you know at at like Gulf Emirate like levels. Yeah, I mean, it's that's 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 it's really shocking. Well, I, I, clearly, the the statistics just show that that men are more capable than women. I don't see what the problem is. Right? You know, <laughs> wow! All no, right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, no, just um, you know, like you were saying, I was surprised also that it, it's so high in Samsung and LG. But why isn't it as high in POSCO and other places? I mean, could it be that you know, perhaps in some of these companies they have a a corporate culture that is more more um, inclusive of women rather than these other companies that are like, oh, this is an old man's, this is an old boy's club, so you have to, you know, basically be a man if you want to yeah. advance. I can't remember anything specific, but I, I do remember something within the last year or so where Samsung had announced some initiatives to, like, um, you know, Samsung is this giant conglomerate. They had announced some, like, in-house initiatives to really identify and hire female employees to the executive level. Um, I remember seeing that being reported a couple different times. I could be mistaken, but I believe Samsung has been on the record, at least within the last 12 months, um, to be very much obviously pushing for something like that. And it seems like it does seem to be working. Well, also, the, the, the companies are at the low end of the list. I mean, what was there? Posco was down there, Hyundai Heavy Industries. I'm just, you know... I'm not an expert on the situation, so I'm just a white guy talking. Um, but uh, it, it, could it be also, I mean, those particular industries, I mean, we're talking about steel, um, heavy construction, shipbuilding, are industries where I think you're going to find a, a relatively low number of female employees in general. That's a good point. Why don't, why, why don't we let the female in the group talk, Stephanie? <laughs> I'm at <mistake. laughs> No. I don't know. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I, like you said, it's it's that's the case in the West as well as it is in Korea. Um, I was surprised that Samsung has such a high percentage, but there also was a few articles of a couple of months back about like the sexual harassment and like the hand weren't they like giving women handbooks on like how to deal with sexual harassment? Like it's going to happen. We're not going to try to stop it. <laughs> but but this is how you should react. <laughs> To, to piggyback on the comment you just mentioned, like working in the media, there is no shortage of articles coming out any month that's like, 
not only creating companies missteps on perhaps good intentions of trying to do something for their female employees, but just doing it in all the wrong ways to ministries of the Korean government releasing things like tips on how to interview or tips for women in the workplace that once again, may be the best of intentions, but like, you know, it's like those abortion talks in the United States where the panel is just all men. Like it makes you wonder if they had consulted a single woman before releasing something. Well, there was the ministry of gender equality that released um, like a webpage about how women can do better in interviews. And they said that the answer to the question, like, how would you deal with sexual harassment? You're supposed to say, oh, I would just take it as a joke or I wouldn't take it seriously because, you know, boys will be boys, you know, and that's coming from the Ministry of Gender Equality. So if that's supposed to be the the government body that's looking out for women's rights, then we've got a serious problem here. Yeah, that being said, when I, you know, in my interactions with with, uh, the government, particularly Seoul Metropolitan Government, I mean, I'm not sure what, the, the st- I don't know what the statistics are, but um, I, I do know that a lot of uh, the mid-ranking and higher-ranking uh, officials that I deal with are, are women. So there is, you know, um, you know, there is that. Stephanie, what have uh, what have been your impressions living here? I think you've lived here maybe three years or so. What as a as a foreign woman living here? But you work with Korean women, and obviously, you know, you have friends here. How have you seen maybe how you were treated versus if you were a Korean woman? Have you noticed any differences? Um, I'm kind of like, I have a different set of expectations put upon me because I am a Western woman, because I'm a foreign woman. Um, I think Korean women have it very difficult. (laughs) They, I mean, I think all Korean people in general, like beauty and being thin is kind of the most important thing. I would hate to be born an ugly Korean woman. I mean, I guess you just get plastic surgery, but it's kind of like you're worthless. So, I mean, yes, they're getting these jobs and these companies. So, like, someone is valuing, in quotations, you know, their their intelligence or their work ethic or whatever. But I don't know. I think still, as a woman in this country, you have to be beautiful. Like, and the expectations are ridiculously high. Like the standard. Um, I'm kind of just not even seen, I guess. I I feel invisible in this country, which is hard because I'm like a six foot tall redhead. But (laughs) um, I don't know. It's it's hard to like watch it on the outside and hear a lot of stories from Korean women about like sexual harassment, sexual abuse, like not getting help from police. You know, Um, it's it's a tricky subject. Well, from from what I've heard, like because there's this um, dichotomy between men and women, where men have to go through the mandatory military service and women do not. Once you get into the workplace, a lot of men will use that and say, "Well, I gave two years of my life away, so that is why I'm entitled to all these privileges as a male in the workplace." Mm-hmm. And that just seems like a standard thing. Like people will say, "Well, you know." we men, we went to the military and you women, your job is to, you know, have children. So, you know, that's why when you have children, then we're going to take care of you. You quit your job and we'll take care of you yeah, because we're men. Right. And- Something to think about too, all these women and Samsung working, like if they ever want, want to have kids, I assume that they'll just have to quit. Oh, I think it's Samsung would probably be better than most places, but yeah, they they probably have maternity leave in place or something, but yeah. Um, perhaps because of, 
perhaps because of the the low birth rate um, which Korea is dealing with as well as you know neighbor like Japan but Korea specifically is very very low um, the people that I know who have had children here um, the the break that they've got, I don't know if break is the right word because obviously it's a lot of work, but the time off that they have gotten um, and seems to be paid for has been very surprisingly generous. Um, you know, I have a friend from high school in the States who is due like any moment now. You know, she you see her and you're like, oh my gosh, that woman is going to, about, you know, to have a baby. She has to take a combination of um, a vacation and unpaid leave of absence to, to have her child. Oh, America is one of the worst countries in the world. <laughs> for that. No, I think in Korea, though, it depends on which, where you're seeing these people. If they work for something that's run for the government, for example, like, you know, an English language radio station, then of course they're going to get really, really long, uh, you know, maternity leave because that's the law. But if you work for like a smaller company, then they'll say, well, we're legally entitled to give you this. But if we give you this, then, you know, your job might be in jeopardy. So they, they can kind of get around it that way by, by forcing you to voluntarily not take the lead. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Right. And one of, the, one, of, one of the reasons why Korea's birth rate is so low is because of, you know, I mean, you know, up until recently anyway, when women had children, it killed their uh, career prospects. And that was it. Um, that's one of the reasons. But, yeah, I mean... Um, a lot of it depends, even now, a lot of it depends on where you work. If you work for the government, if you work for certain select large companies, yeah, you're going to get generous uh, benefits in terms of, you're going to get benefit, leave, you know, generous leave and, uh, and, and generous benefits. But if you're working for a small or medium-sized company, you're screwed. One thing I, I, I want to try to talk about a little bit more before we get too far away from the point that was brought up was the thing that Eugene said, and I've had many people bring this point up while I do these man-on-the-street interviews that I have to do every week um, for the broadcaster that I work for, and that is this mandatory military service. And I'll just throw it out there. I'm not saying that this makes everything else okay, and, and perhaps maybe I'm not even agreeing with this, but I think that it's a hard argument to beat that all these Korean men had to serve for two years, and depending who you are and depending how lucky you are, that might mean you know, Namsan Tower, there's like a little gate where you can go and uh, there's a guy sitting in a booth that will tell you which direction you want to go to. My girlfriend and I went up there and she said he's serving his military service. And then you have someone like my girlfriend's brother who was a driver for two years on the DMZ. So, you know, if there was going to be combat, he would have seen it during that time. And then you have people who serve as police, you know, in Seoul. So when you see these big riots for, you know, LGBT or the Saywell protests and you see these thousands of police officers, a lot of them are like really thin. 23 year old guys who are serving their military they had to do that they didn't have a way out of that and i've had a lot of guys tell me that as eugene mentioned that kind of allows them to receive benefits later on so my you know way to get away from that would just be to either make women serve or get rid of mandatory military i think that either making women serve or getting rid of that mandatory military service i think would bring a little bit more gender equality to the country yeah, although that being said, look, um, you know, not to not to downplay the sacrifices of young men, you know, defending this country, but you know, um uh you know, given you know all the privileges that men that, that being born with a penis has has given you know people uh, given men uh historically, um you know, the fact that they have to do two years military service doesn't, you know, 
don't know. It doesn't seem like that's that onerous. Um, you know, that being said, yeah, I think, you know, drafting women into the military is a good thing. I think that's a good thing everywhere. Um, at least everywhere that has a, has a, a mandatory military service anyway. Such as Israel, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I hear that too. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, we got to go into military women don't, you know, you know, poor us. And that just, I don't know, it just comes off as the kind of cranky stuff that you hear coming from men's groups. Um, which exist in Korea. There are men's groups that like fight for the rights of men in Korea. Right. Now, granted, I mean, I think some of the issues that they raise are legitimate issues, but yeah, most of the time they just come off as cranky, you know, um, you know, why do we got to, uh, you know, share workplace with the chicks sort of things. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that if you get to the point where you're justifying sh- respecting women less because they didn't serve, then that's going to, lead to respecting women less in more than just the workplace though and that's that's a dangerous road to go down it's not like oh i don't have to respect my wife with equal equality in our marriage because she didn't do military service and i did or yeah i raped that girl but you know she didn't do her military service so i'm entitled to that and i think that's it's just wrong to even think that just because you did your military service that your coworker is not it's not equal to you because uh, under the eyes of the company. And I think it's really wrong that anyone should ever bring that argument up. Like in yeah, my I mean, opinion. give them some benefits or something, but not, you know, a, a guaranteed spot. What in Samsung, like what, what is this benefit? Like they, they'll get a job over a woman. Well, I mean, actually, uh, I mean, the government used to actually award, you know, separate points for military service. I'm not sure if they still do that. I think they were talking about it. I mean, they've been talking about doing away with that for a while. I'm not sure if they have, but uh, definitely within government service, they used to get, you know, you know, men used to get points for their service, which allowed for them to, to advance up the ranks quicker. I guess just the, the final point, I, I agree with you, Eugene, exactly. Like, you know, if, if you serve in the military, that doesn't mean you can treat women any differently or anything like that. But remember the Korean kid, 17 or 18 years old, who joined ISIS? That happened. And he joined ISIS, and they went back and they looked at his computer and his tweets and all this stuff. And he tweeted things like, "I'm joining ISIS." I'm mean, oh, paraphrasing, but I'm joining ISIS because men are discriminated against, and I'm sick and tired of being discriminated against as a man in Korea. I mean, those are his words, basically. So, once again, I'm not saying it's legitimate, but it's hard to tell a 17 year old kid who's joining ISIS because he feels that he's being you know, discriminate against as a male that, no, no, it's okay. Serve your two years of military. So my point is just that if we got that out of the way, these dumb people don't have the argument anymore. Well, well I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's difficult to base social policy based on, you know, some asshat who went to, uh, you know, Iraq to join <laughs> ISIS. You don't want to extrapolate too much from that. Um, but, uh, but that being said, yeah, I mean, he does, he did parrot like what a lot of these men's group, you know, yeah, you know, that rhetoric that you know men are somehow an oppressed you know an oppressed group in Korea, which is you know ridiculous. Just, just <laughs> on that on that note, though, you said you said that you know Park Geun-hye got to power because she's a woman and or, or as a woman, but it, it's important to well, not because she's a woman, but it's important to highlight that she she's, she's the, the daughter, daughter of a dictator, <laughs> and even if Hillary becomes the president, she'll be president because. She was Bill Clinton's wife. So when are we going to get an actual woman in power that is not connected to some man in power? 
Well, and I would say even like the Samsung that kind of ties into like, yes, there's this high percentage of women in Samsung, but it's like, why? Because they made these initiatives. Like, that's amazing. Let's get more women in there. But like, are they just hiring women to have women so it looks equal? You know what I mean? Are they, they're in this company and then they're still not valued. They're still not respected or can't advance. I don't know. Like, it's just for face value, right? Like, oh, we have a woman president and Korea's so forward. It's like, are we really, you know, like, are well, sure. Yeah, those are those are the problems people cite that are against affirmative action. And like, if you look at Barack Obama, you know, mother, uh, white American, father, black African. You know, so you can make the argument: when are we going to have, like, you know, if you will, a real black president? So obviously, there are problems with these people who are making the jump to the first considered black president or the first female president. But I mean, I I'm glad that South Korea as a female president, even if she is... Wasn't Bill Clinton the first black president? He was called the first <laughs> black president. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Hence, hence, hence why I brought it up. Exactly. So, all right. Well, yeah, we could talk about this forever. Good topic. But I do want to cover this last one because this is also something that's really affecting Koreans. Uh, a growing number of young Koreans can't get a job or they get a job that just really sucks. Men or women? Are these the men come out of military? And they- we'll, get, we'll get to this. But these are, these are everybody. If you're korean and you're 20 to 30 some years old it is not a good time um so much so that a growing number of young people here in korea are expressing their frustration online uh websites with names like hell korea are becoming popular people are just writing you know their tales of not being able to find a job or getting these horrible jobs and just working their butts off for little or no money because it's the worst unemployment rate for young adults in korea in 15 years and truthfully they didn't really keep track of it before then so it might be like within the life of this korean country as we know it so even if you have a job half of young adults are struggling with low-paying jobs that are probably very embarrassing for them because they've been studying their whole lives they may have gone to a good school it was brought up to me when i posted this article on facebook a few days ago that this is probably the first generation of koreans who have been able to go through the hogwan system so their entire life you know they were going to these academies learning english studying science doing all these other things and they're getting either no job or a very low paying job and to add on to that two-thirds of koreans ages 25 to 34 have a college degree it's the highest percentage in all of the oecd but they still can't find a job and they've just announced that next year they're going to increase the minimum wage up by eight percent but it's still just around five dollars uh five u.s dollars or so so it's not even that much money and once again these interviews that i do on the street every week for my employer People are telling me that if they work for a company, they talk about passion pay. They talk about working long hours and not getting the time written down on the clock. So even if they are getting that five, whatever an hour it is here in Korea, when they work, you know, by the end of the week, they're not even getting that. So it's a bad time for young people here in South Korea. Um, so once again, obviously, um, you know, we're foreigners, uh, Eugene, you're Korean American, but, uh, you work for a company and, and you could just be like an expat, like any of us. So how have you seen this in your company that you work for? Have you seen this at your school or have you seen this at your magazine? The, the fact that young people are maybe more willing to work harder or longer hours, or if there's a job, people are just applying, you know, out the wazoo. No, what it is is just that like, young people are lazy. That's that's what it is, pretty much. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, I think I noticed this more when I worked at the radio station. Um, it seems like there were lots of people applying for not so glamorous jobs with low pay, and they would just take the person who would would accept it for the lowest amount of money. So basically, it's an employer's market, and they can make you work 
long hours for low wages. And if you don't like it, then they'll find the, one of the five guys lined up behind you for your job. So it sucks, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of things going on. I mean, um, you know, I don't think young people are lazy, but, um, and because they're not, and, they're yeah, I, I not. was kidding. I was kidding. No, no, I know you're <laughs> kidding, but, um, what I, I, I need to put this caveat in because of what I'm about to say. Um, I don't think young people are lazy, but I think their elders who went through a time where, you know, the entire nation was a barracks, <laughs> um, might view the situation young people t- face today and think, you know, why are you bitching? Just, you know, you know, just, you know, suck it up because we had to suck it up when we were, uh, you know, when we were, uh, young, uh, and we had to put up with a lot more shit than you had to. Um, so I think there's that at work. I also, but I do think there's, I mean, there's obviously there's structural changes to the Ukrainian economy. And this is something that, you know, is affecting pretty much every country in the world now. I mean, it's not our parents' generation where you could, you know, get a high school, you know, you, you have a high school degree, you know, and, you know, you can get a mortgage, you can buy a house and, you know, be set for life. Um, you know, it's not like that anymore, you know, between globalization and just the, 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 the industrialization of the economy, uh, it's created, you know, uh, you know, we're in a period of transition and yeah, that it's a tough time for young folk. Uh, that being said, um, you know, look, the youth unemployment numbers are what 11.1 in Korea, which is, you know, granted a historic high, but the United States is 12.1 and that's come down quite a bit since last year. And compared to Europe where it's like 40, like Italy just released its, uh, it's a uh, youth unemployment numbers, 44%. Spain's at 49%, and Greece, although it hasn't reported for the last two months, was at 53% in April. So, I mean, all these Koreans are talking, yeah, I mean, I think the article you sent to us, I mean, uh, a lot of Koreans are thinking about, uh, you know, young Koreans are thinking about uh, emigrating uh, in search of greening pastures. Where the fuck yeah, are they going to go? Yeah, that came up a lot, yeah. Where the fuck are they going to go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Well, a lot yeah. of Koreans have made a good home in North America. Yeah, which you know what, maybe it says something about the uh, you know the the young American worker than anything else. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at the numbers. I say, well, Korea eleven point one percent and unemployment, general unemployment at four point six percent. Yeah, these are these are problems that most developed countries would love to have. Now, well, you know, in all in all fairness, though, Rob, um, yeah. I, I don't know about specifically this young Korean number that you're that you're you're bringing up, but I have heard a lot of discussion that Korea's unemployment numbers are baked so that they're not really showing what the unemployment is. If you look at like total unemployment, it's a lot higher than what you say, something like five percent. Well, I think the bigger problem is that a lot of young people who are working, you know, especially people who are working in what we call like, you know, contract workers or irregular workers. Um, you know, in Korea, there's that big divide between, you know, what you would call regular employees and irregular employees. You know, um, a lot of your irregular employees are making like 1 million won or less. Like I think the, the number is 880,000 Korean won a month. Right. Um, I think if you boosted that number to something that, you know, what I guess a lot of you progressive types like to call, a a, 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 uh, living wage is living wage. Yeah. Um, I think that would probably boost the unemployment numbers significantly. So maybe it's masked just by low pay. I don't know. But, uh, 
yeah, that being said, I mean, I, I you know, in terms, of, you know, at least they have jobs, which is more than we can say for a lot of Western Europe or the United States for that matter. Steffi, have you seen anything in uh, in your school at all? Um, you might work with people that are probably maybe more of like the 30 range, but obviously I don't know your employer. How have, have you seen this play out at all? No, not really. I think teaching, there's always jobs, but they definitely make, Koreans make a lot less than their Western counterparts, like half or less, you know, so it's pretty unfair. You mean at this, at the same school? At the same job, the same school. Every school I've ever worked at, and I think this is true for most people, the Korean teachers make a, like half of what the foreign teachers make. And usually have to do more work. <laughs> so, I, I mean, there's no, I, I can't complain. And I guess we all, I mean, we're all here for the job opportunities, right? And we can make pretty good money. That's why we're in, I mean, one of the reasons we're probably in Korea. Um, I know that, like, teaching jobs for Westerners are going down, which I don't know. Like, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe there will be more jobs for Koreans that can speak English to teach. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see like the business side of it. You know, I'm not involved in like the business world. So I do wonder though, like Koreans are holding out, you know, like you're, you guys are already talking about for kind of like a pride thing. Like they want a, a good job, like a, that will make their family proud of them. Like they're not going to go out and work at the Seven Eleven. you know what I mean? Well, Stephanie, just to kind of get to something you just mentioned, if you're an English teacher here and you just work for like a normal place, so you know, usually you'll get like an extra month's salary if you complete your year-long contract and you'll get sent here and get sent home. But as Eugene can uh, personally uh, back me up, uh, when it comes to working in English radio, the the pay just gets worse every year. And in, in fact, my current contract that I'm working in um, is much better than when I first started working in, uh, maybe like a year ago. And when I was talking with my girlfriend about how much I was making versus the amount of time that I was putting in and saying that like this is the lowest wage that I've ever made for doing this amount of work, you know, as a post college graduate with, you know, years of radio experience, she then told me like, oh, well, you know, this friend and I say, oh, yeah. And, you know, this friend, they work those same hours and they make much less than you do. And the way that that works out is like they either live at home or their parents pay their key money so that they can live in an apartment um, on their own. But, you know, their parents will put up the 70000 or the $100,000 it takes to, to get an apartment, even in a bad area of Seoul, if you will. So sometimes, you know, some people look like they might be making a lot of money. But when you compare that, as you mentioned, to the Koreans that, you know, work at your school who get paid half as much as as the foreigners, even Koreans in an area where they're not working with foreigners, they will make surprisingly low amount of money to the point that I had to have my girlfriend tell me three or four different examples for me to really understand how little Koreans make in the 20, 30-something time of their life. I don't understand how they... Certainly, I, it doesn't seem like a living wage like we were talking about, but I guess yeah. it's, you're right, it's better than 1960s Korea. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, to some extent. I mean, I, I think the difference is with 1960s Korea, um, there was always, I mean, you always felt that things were getting better. Right. Right. You know, you, you know, you're working for the next generation, you're working so your kids could have a better life. And I think a lot of, and again, this is not just in Korea, it's also in a lot of other Western countries. We don't, a lot of young people don't feel that way. Like the next, you know, they don't feel like they're going to enjoy the same type of standard of living that the parents had, or they don't think they're going to enjoy, or that they're, the next generation won't enjoy the same kind of standard of living that they will have. Now, whether that's actually true or not, I think is a very long discussion. But if I can mention something else here, because I think it's important, again, it's 
mentioned in the article is that um, you know Korea has this astronomically high university graduation rate, and I think that's a problem too. Is that a lot of people are going to university and coming out with you know unrealistically high expectations in terms of what kind of job they're going to have. I mean, there are only that there are only so many executive positions out there, and um, a lot of people are going to college that probably don't need it, but feel like they need to to compete with all the other college graduates coming out, and it's kind of distorting the the labor market. And again, this is not just a Korean problem; it's the same case in the United States, where you know um, a lot of people who are spending, you know, it's worse in the United States given the the types of the types of prices that people, you know, the types of tuitions that we pay there. You know where people are, you know, putting themselves in debt or spending an astronomical amount of money, you know, for university when they'd be better off, you know, learning a trade. You know, um, you know. Rob, I couldn't agree with you more. When I lived in Germany, I saw the same thing happening, but sort of in reverse because in Germany, the majority of students, I think it's around like sixty-six percent, they don't go to a university in Germany; they go to a technical school. But where I come from in Iowa, and I think a lot of places in the United States, if you go to a technical school, people will automatically think less of you because you're not going to college. But in Germany, a technical school is a real school that you go to. You learn a trade, and you could work that trade the rest of your life. How do you think that type of situation could be brought to Korea? Because that's what I think the answer is, and I I think America needs that as well. Right. Well, even in the United States, I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, you mean you think technical school, you think oh, dumbass, right? But a lot of you know a lot of the kids coming out of technical school actually have more job security and actually making better money than the guys coming out of four year schools. You know. Um, yeah, how do you bring that over to Korea? I don't know. Um, you know, um, you know, it requires. It's not just. It's not just a, a technical issue. It's not just a systemic issue. It's a cultural issue. You know, uh, and again, not one just limited to Korea. You know, how do you get people to understand that? You know, not everybody needs a four-year degree. But also, at the same time, though, like you hear about all the, these uh, foreign workers coming into Korea to work in factories or be fishermen or work on farms and stuff, and then you have all these people that can't find jobs. Well, why don't they become fishermen and factory workers and farmers? I I, I don't quite get it. The problem is, is that you know people have been saying that you know oh the status that you get with a four year degree in a college is something that you need if you want to get a good job in a company as a white collar worker. But when there are fewer jobs than workers, then maybe your degree is kind of worthless. And that's, that sucks, but that's just the, the reality of the situation. So maybe you need to find other ways. You should have found other ways earlier. Maybe you shouldn't have been pushing so hard academically and learned how to actually make something or do something or be the one that produces rather than the person that writes about it or, or manipulates spreadsheets on a computer, maybe. Well, I think that uh, is all the time we have, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show. This is the the third recording that we've had in, obviously, the last three weeks, one a week. Um, so before we say goodbye, why doesn't everybody uh, just kind of uh, pimp themselves out a little bit? Rob, why don't you start? Talk about the marmot's hole. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually blogged on it for a while now. Um, yeah, I've been spending most of my time now over at my photo blog, which is over at uh, Tumblr. That would be R-J-K-O-E-H-L-E-R dot Tumblr dot com. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, in the Marmot's Hole. I mean, I, we have, a uh, we have a lot of guests, uh, well, I guess right now they're the main bloggers over there, but, uh, yeah, they do a good job of, uh, 
you know, blogging on current events and the, uh, you know, the comment section is, you know, you know, uh, I, you know, you know, goes back and forth between being uh, interesting and being a national disgrace. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, pop on by. Well, real quick, since you started that back in 2003, how have you seen that change? Back in 2003, the idea of doing an online blog itself, as long as you kept up with it, was kind of like, oh, nice, you know, someone has an online blog, and you can check that out. But now, you know, like, it seems like everybody has it to the point that if you don't do something special or if you aren't just like super, super popular, it doesn't matter at all. You said you moved into photography and I know that that's something that you have a passion for, but how have you seen that particular blogging change? Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, since 2003, the technology has changed. The blogging culture has changed. As you point out, you know, everybody and their brother has a blog now. So, um, you know, there's that, but also within the Korean expat blogging community too, I, there's been massive changes. You know, when I first started blogging back in 2003, it was, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, it was a lot of white guys bitching. And it's still like that. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, which is, not, by the way, not to take away from some of the excellent blogs that were written back in 2003, because there were a lot of good ones, too. But, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, white guys bitching. And, um you know, it's changed a lot now. I mean, now if you look at a lot of your 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 big Korea blogs out there, like Eat Your Kimchi being obviously, you know, the one that comes immediately to mind, but there's a lot of them out there now. There are a lot more. Yeah, I, yeah. It's not my sort of thing either, but I, I do think that's a positive thing. I mean, you're starting to see a lot more positive content being written about Korea. Korea's kind of gotten that sort of international cool factor going that it didn't have before, and that's reflected in the blogosphere. Um, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'm not a K-pop guy, so, you know, I don't read them personally, but I appreciate the fact that they're out there and I appreciate the fact that they're doing well, you know? So, um, yeah, things, you know, things have changed. And also the medium too. I mean, you know, uh, you know, and it's not just in Korea, but overseas too, a lot of things that started off as blogs are now actually full fledged, you know, media, you know, sites. I mean, obviously the Huffington Post being, you know, one, you know, the big example of that, but you know, you're starting to see, you know, you have to do a lot more now. You need to do multimedia. You just can't just post shit. You know, you need to do video content. You need to, you know, go out there and make your own news. And you didn't have to do that before. I appreciate that. You just mentioned the idea of having positive content. Uh, I am one of the biggest supporters of Korea and the fact that I live here by choice. I would be making much more money and have an easier lifestyle if I was living in my home country or a couple other places I've been to. But those are sort of limitations I've accepted because I just love Korea. I love people. I think they're so in, uh, high, high level of education. They're hard workers. They're nice. You leave your purse at a restaurant in Korea. You'll go back. It'll still be under the table four hours later. I've seen that happen. Right. I've gone back with someone to get their purse. I love living here. At the same time, almost everything I do, which is the majority of radio stuff, is criticizing Korea. So I also agree that it's great to see positive stuff getting out there because I myself, as the biggest supporter of Korea I know, often don't put out positive things. Right. Well, there's also something that you need to keep in mind, too, which is, I mean, both you and, you know, my blog anyway, you know, we deal with news, right? And almost by definition, you know, it's going to be negative. Nobody, very few people, you know, who blog about politics and current events, for example, you know, do so in a positive way. Um, it's mostly bitching. And at least in my own defense, 
um, if I were blogging in the United States, I'd be mostly bitching. Right? Um, so I'm not really doing anything different here than I wouldn't have done if I had had a, a, an American current events blog. And that is a nice tie-in to Eugene. Eugene, I think your podcast, the Cafe Soul podcast, which has been going on for quite a long time now, um, you've had some change in personnel, but it's you know still going the same name. Uh, you guys do a great job of showing both sides, but I think you guys, with your funny news and just the banter that you guys have, is a very pretty overall positive representation of Korea. So could you talk about that? And feel free to you know talk about the other things you do. All right, sure. Um, Cafe Soul is a podcast that we started in 2013, and um, basically the genesis of it was when I was working for the radio station that I guess you work for, um, we were very displeased that there's so much control over the creative content, where the people that are actually writing the show and hired because they're creative are not allowed to say specific things about Korea because, oh, well, that, that might present Korea in a negative light to the foreign listenership. Or you can't talk about gay people. You can't praise Japan. You can't do all these things. So basically, uh, we didn't really like the fact that the message had to be controlled. And we thought there was a need for some kind of English language radio show in that medium that wasn't controlled but was just basically honest. And so that's why we started it. Um, you can find the podcast on our website at cafesoul.tk. Um, and we are on hiatus at the moment, but uh, we have three whole seasons that you can listen to and get caught up. And we should be back up again in September or October. What's the .tk URL? What is that? Well, uh, TK, .tk is that's a town in New Zealand that gives away free um, free URLs. So <laughs> nice. it's just because it's free. That, that's basically it. Yeah. There we are. Well, it's a do-it-yourself DIY podcast. Great to hear. Well, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. And, and obviously, KoreaFM.net, which is the, the thing that I put together with the help of some friends, um, we proudly uh, support Cafe Soul and a bunch of other podcasts as well. Uh, Stephanie, you're an English teacher, and as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, you're uh, going home here in a, in a few months, taking your two dogs, which we've heard off and on during the show in the background. Um, <laughs> could you talk about maybe just your impressions of being a teacher here in Korea for a few years and why you decided to, to go home? Um, yeah, I guess it's been so positive. I don't want to be the downer. No. <laughs> I think... Um, and people can obviously disagree with me. I think Western women have a very different experience here than Western men. Um, and I, I do think, like I was alluding to earlier, we are, I mean, this happens all over the world, like, um, but especially in Korea, like women are valued for their beauty, not for their, the content of their mind or, you know, being opinion, like women, uh, women's rights here are a little bit behind. I don't know. It's been frustrating. For me, like my life has been wonderful here. Obviously, I've stayed here for four and a half years. Um, I've loved all my jobs. I love my friends. I love, you know, my apartment, my boyfriend, the life I've created. But it's it's also been like very hard, I guess. Like it's been a good kind of hard. Like it's made me a better person. And, and then some of that I have to contribute just to living in Seoul. Seoul is so big. I don't think I'm like built to survive in a city this large and crowded. So I think a lot of it, Maybe I've like attributed, oh, Korea is making me, you know, stressed out. No, I think it's just like seven billion people that are in my goo, you know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It was just time to go back home. And I know, you know, wherever I live, like uh, women's 
rise equality, all that stuff has a long way to go. But I've definitely noticed like the lack of sexual revolution here. Um, very traditional roles. Like I've done a lot of like volunteering with like Kumfa and stuff like that. And you really see a lot of lack of women's rights and, and things like that. Like single mothers being like ostracized and, you know, pressured into giving their children up for, I, I don't know. I don't want to like open this whole can of worms, but me and Korea, it's just time. Like I will look back very fondly on my time in Korea and I will miss things like how safe it is. And, um, people are very kind. I find outside of Seoul, but in general, I think maybe I have like, me and Korea have like pushed back on each other a little bit. We've kind of like, it kind of, this culture kind of like pushes you down. And uh, as a woman, maybe more so than a man, like my opinion is not valued. Um, my mind is not valued. Like I, I can't contribute anything. Um, they don't really like women. I think my personality just doesn't vibe with Korea. Maybe <laughs> I'm a loud, outspoken woman and that's not okay for a woman to be here, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, the, the one of the, I don't know if greatest is the, the best way to describe it, but one of the most, I guess, profound anecdotes that I'll remember from probably no matter how long I live in Korea, um, when it comes to how women are treated here, was something you told me and perhaps uh, another member or two of your band. Um, we both play in bands, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends, we see each other play all the time. You, you were talking about how, I'm sure this has happened more than once, but someone came up to you guys after a show and you started off as an all-female band, but now you have a, a male bass player. Um, and he came up to you and was like, wow, like, I really enjoyed your performance. And you're like, oh, thanks. You know, thanks for coming. And he was like, you you wrote those songs? Like, who wrote those songs for oh, you? Well, it was shouted while we were playing. It was a Korean man. We were playing an FF, and he was, like, standing right in front of me and dancing and really digging it. And he was, like, screamed it up, to, like, on stage. Like, who writes your songs? And I was like, oh, we do, asshole. <laughs> we wrote them. Um, but I mean, they, there are a lot of female musicians, um, and I guess I'm in the indie rock scene or whatever, but it's just not, it's still not as common. It's not as common anywhere as to see, you know, male musicians, but, uh, lacking especially, I mean, cause we see what K-pop stars, right? They're not writing their songs. They're not, <laughs> they have no control over how they're portrayed, you know, like their production company owns them and. Anyway, I don't know. And, we, you know, we get a lot, a lot of comments like, oh, you guys are really good for girls. Or, um, oh, jeez. Well, I was really surprised. Like, our drummer is female, and she's amazing. I think she's one of the best drummers in Seoul, and, you know, regardless if she's a male or female. Um, and just a lot of, like, wow, I was expecting you to be bad, but you're really good. And I don't know. I think because I've put myself out there, too. Like, I've experienced a lot of negative things because I have been so vocal, and I do speak out when things piss me off. You know, I see somebody, like, grabbing a girl's ass in a club I'm gonna say something I'm gonna step in I have friends that are like that and when they do you know they get headbutted <laughs> or whatever negative things happen yeah no that happens yeah, yeah. I mean negative things happen to women all over the world but it's just been hard there's not so much of a dialogue here like at least in the west you have women like feminist issues being talked about and it every every day like more female artists and more female comedians and um I don't know. It's just all kind of like swept under the rug here. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be talked about. Um, or maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously in my little expat bubble, so I'm sure it is. I'm just not involved. I, I think a lot of people, not only in the expat bubble, but a, a lot of Koreans would probably agree with 
most of the stuff you said. I, I agree. I think everybody would probably back it up. But well, we've gone over our hour time. Thank you guys all so much for, for being on the show. I hope to have you on, on the show again, especially you, Stephanie, before you, you decide to head back to the Midwest of uh, the good old USA. Thanks again, everybody. And, uh, of course, you can check out this and other programs on CreeFM.net. Sometimes you want to 